You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin here today by calling in the spirits to support us in our proceedings here today. So first, I call out to the ancestors. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lines. I call out to those people who mingle in our blood. I call out to those who have gone before us that would help us to do what we, the living, are meant to do so that we can create a world that is what the descendants are calling for. And so I ask these ancestors to gather around us, and particularly those ancestors who lived in times of profound change. The earth herself goes through her own life cycles, and I ask for those ancestors who lived through these changes on the earth to be with us here today and help to guide us, the living, to ride out these changes in a way that restores, to be with this possibility in a way that seizes the opportunities that are here right now at this time, and to be here together in such a way that we truly understand how to manifest in our everyday lives, in our ordinary waking reality, the interconnectedness of all things. And so I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today to support us. And I ask each one of us to reach from our hearts to our bellies and our bellies down into the earth through all the layers of the earth, leaving our gratitude in every layer as we go, giving thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we know it to the face of this planet. We give thanks for the beauty in that dream, for the diversity in that dream, and for the mystery in that dream. And we give thanks simply for the miracle of life. We reach deeply into the center of the earth and draw up the earth's energy into our being, into our proceedings here today, to draw up the energy that brings to us the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form, in a good way for all living things. And with this energy, may we choose to be grounded. May we choose to create a sense of place, a sense of home, a sense of belonging. And may we choose with this energy to feel our own inner connection with ourself and to reach out into good relationship with others, with the environment and with the spirit world. And in this way to know our interconnectedness with things all the way to feeling that sense of our oneness, our place in that divine oneness of all things. And for the energy of the earth and her patience and her willingness constantly to renew and restore this knowing within each one of us, we give thanks to the earth, we receive her energy and let it infuse our body and help us to remember who we are. And with this energy surging and moving through our belly and up into our heart and from our heart up into our mind, may we reach our energies up into the sky and through the sky into the atmosphere and the atmosphere into the cosmos and all the way out through all the mysteries and wonders of our universe all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you call that power call it down but before you do so see yourself reflected in the face of that divine energy and as we draw this energy down we draw in the energy of blessing into ourselves into our circle here into our proceedings we draw in the energy of protection the energy of generosity and benevolence and devotion and excellence and all of the ways we are inspired to be our true self in the world so we call this energy down calling the sky energies down into our mind into our heart and our belly and we invite and open to the energies of the earth and sky mixing and merging within us to bring us into the perfect balance that we need for this day 
and we feel, hopefully feel truly in ourselves that dynamic tension of yin and yang energies that is the big love energy that birthed our entire experience of form into existence. So we give thanks for this energy within us and ask it to help us to awaken the spirit of the heart. And may all the chambers of the heart open and awaken with this energy and may the heart be that true and unique crucible that it is to hold the fiery passion storming and churning of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and to hold Hold these energies in their own dynamic tension, that they might give birth to that third energy, our knowing of why we are here. And may we find in our human hearts the courage to do what we have come here to do. And may something happen in this day, and may you make it happen, to bring your unique gifts to the world. And so we give thanks to the spirit energies for gathering round, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart in the center connecting it all. We give thanks to those spirit energies, and I give thanks to the spirit energy in the hearts of the listeners who have given to us over the last week to help us to keep the show on the air. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are now able to donate to the show by going to whyshamanismnow.com. Click on the support button. You can donate any amount, large or small. It all goes to keeping the show on the air. And we are deeply grateful for those of you who are able to donate financially so that we can pay our bills and keep the show available for free for people through the archives and to those who want to listen online. So keep in mind, keep in the heart, actually, the understanding of the deep, deep essence of shamanism cross-culturally is to allow yourself to be motivated in the heart, to notice the movement of heart in yourself and to allow that movement in the heart to move you into action and to let that be the root of your power. And so we ask you to do whatever you can to keep the show alive and vital, and thank you for your support. So today is part two. We are continuing in a show about what is unique, what is going on here in 2012, the trends that are challenging and the trends that are positive, and what is it that we are being called to do. And to help me in this conversation, I have invited, invited McCall to the show. So McCall, welcome. Hello. And thank you for joining me here again as we continue in this conversation. And um, I'm going to shorten the bio this time. For those of you that don't know, just go to the website and read all of the many interesting things. But basically, uh, McCall is an internationally recognized pioneer in the synthesis of Jungian psychology and shamanic healing. His most widely known book is Jung and Shamanism in Dialogue, Retrieving Soul, Retrieving the Sacred. And his teachings are now uh, in the center of heart-centered, earth-honoring communities, um, working with the teachings, living the teachings all over the world, in France, Belgium, South Africa. And this, this organization is known as Crow's Nest International. And we here in North America are lucky to be able to visit um, Crow's Nest Center for Shamanic Studies, which is in Michigan. And you can connect with all of this information, calendars, etc. at crowsnestshamanism.com. Um, you can also um, contact McCall via email at admin at crowsnestshamanism.com. We are not live this week, but we would be happy to take your questions. You're welcome to email either one of us, and you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And um, thank you all for joining us in this conversation here today. So once again, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us and sharing your perspective about what is going on for humanity now. And um, as we move into what... Um, must happen as we go forward. In the second part of the show, we're going to explore what can happen, what needs to happen, and how we can do that. But before we go forward again, um, let's review kind of the essence um, from the first part of the show. So would you like to share the the kind of important points we already covered and add anything that um, we might have left out in our excitement? Oh, wonderful. (laughs) I like that. I can add some things. Uh, let me begin by saying that in the first discussion, we were talking about the global crisis and the need for a global shift in our way of living and action to address that crisis. 
That's the big topic. And uh, we're looking at this uh, largely uh, through a shamanic point of view and, and perspective. And uh, I want to say for all of us to have the power to uh, affect the world and to bring about needed changes, uh, we really need to clean out anything that is in our way to bring all of our human potentiality online, all parts of ourself online. Um, shamanism has been very good for helping us find and retrieve uh, parts of soul that have split off in trauma, help activate potentials and creativity, and also to help us dissolve and remove obstacles, anything that intrudes or is in the way of our heart path. Uh, so that's really the, the fundamental point of view from which I, at least, am looking at this stuff. And uh, both uh, Christina and I uh, have a, a consensus on the importance of a heart-centered or heart-open and earth-honoring way of life very much needed at this time. And uh, shamanism brings a lot of uh, good resources that could help us uh, make this shift towards a more heart-open and earth-honoring way of living. Now, I mentioned the, uh, the trends of this crisis in our uh, first talk, and uh, by that I mean the trends of the global crisis, uh, the climactic changes, the global warming that's happening, and, and the fact that even if we stopped the uh, toxic emissions today completely, uh, the experts say the planet will continue heating up until well into the 22nd century. And so we have to take action now to protect our great, 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 great grandchildren down the line. And uh, the importance of now is crucial. Uh, experts looking at the complexities uh, of the global crisis say that we have maybe a generation at best to make these fundamental changes. Uh, I mentioned the ecological uh, dangers, the damages to the rainforest, uh, the fouling of air and water. I mentioned the economic problems in international banking and greed-based unchecked capitalism. Um, I, I mentioned the uh, crisis that we have in worldviews. We're leaving uh, an old understanding behind, and uh, we're needing to embrace a new, more holistic, more sacred cosmology, and yet that's not quite in place yet. And uh, many of us are still living out of the materialistic, scientific, atomistic, uh, capitalistic worldview that has not been working very well on this planet and it has been creating considerable damage. And then I mentioned political instability. But I didn't mention the positive trends and I would like to correct that now by saying that, well, much of the difficulties in uh, – the current global crisis have arisen from our ways of living that have been primarily dominated by, by men and their masculine psychology and hierarchical power structures. And uh, for some time, really, since the rise of uh, city-states, have been suppressing uh, the role of women and, and the feminine uh, consciousness. But this is changing now. And this is a very positive trend that um, the feminine consciousness is already underway. We see it in the rise of shamanism. We see it in the rise of goddess traditions. We've seen it in the women's movement. And uh, it's making wonderful inroads. And even what's happening with the inter internet and non-hierarchical social networking and networking theory has a very strong feminine, non-hierarchical form of connectedness component to it. And this is very uh, important trend because I believe it's a trend that we need to make immediate use of to step into our power at a grassroots level and begin to lead our politicians, lead the planet in ways that are more heart-open and earth-honoring. Um, I mentioned in the last talk that these uh, social networks made possible uh, the kind of domino effect we saw in the Arab nations of North Africa and the Middle East a couple of years ago, uh, known as the Arab Spring. And because of the use of Internet technology and cell phones that connected to that, the people were actually able to rise up and be their own news uh, media agency and let the world know in a way that the governments could not suppress what was going on. 
which helped support them and helped us support them in their cause. Uh, whenever a strategy works and works well, it can be adopted and used again in the future when a similar situation arises. Uh, there was much that came out of uh, Gandhi's uh, uh, peaceful protest in India, you know, those uh, fastings that he did and uh, the persistence he had in the philosophy that if we we don't buy the uh, products of the British government, we can bring it to its knees. And that's exactly what he and the Indian people did do and won their liberation. Uh, we think of Martin Luther King, who actually used Gandhi's strategy. And then uh, uh, the women's movement, uh, the abortion uh, uh, movement, the uh, gay rights movement, uh, uh, animal rights movement have used uh, not only Martin Luther King's strategy, but the We Shall Overcome song, which uh, has been used in a number of liberation movements uh, to create solidarity and bind people together in a common cause and purpose. These are examples of the way once a revolutionary form has been established, it can be used again and adapted to a new situation. Now, just looking at the needed global shift from a kind of Western uh, materialistic, capitalistic, uh, heart-closed point of view uh, towards a heart-open and earth-honoring one, uh, the words of uh, Aaron Laszlo uh, come to mind. And as I mentioned in the last uh, talk we, we had, he uh, formed the Club of Budapest, which is uh, composed of a lot of Nobel laureates and also uh, spiritual leaders, shamans, uh, creative artists, scientists, to try to help us chart a course for uh, a rapid global shift within the next three decades. Uh, Here's something that Laszlo said that struck me as very succinct. He said, and I quote, scientists are now coming to recognize what traditional people have always known. The earth can no longer withstand our abuse. 2012 may be the critical year. If we continue to rape and plunder our environment, Global collapse will begin inevitably. But a macro shift of this magnitude depends on every global citizen's participation. A brand new social activism is required, combined with a moral imperative to live more simply so that others can simply live. There is a rising tide of consciousness that should and will lift all boats, unquote. And I think that's a magnificent statement that succinctly uh, depicts our situation and the change that's needed. Now, there's another wonderful statement by uh, Stanislav Grof, the, um, the psychiatrist and uh, developer of uh, holotropic uh, breathwork, uh, a statement that you can find on the realitysandwich.com where he shares his own views on the global crisis. Um, but those very same areas that I mentioned um, as uh, being uh, disturbing trends, Groff says, we have the manpower, we have the woman power, we have the diplomatic power, we have the wealth and resources needed to address each one of those problems. But it's not working. Something else is in the way. And what Groff says is in the way is an old point of view. We can't really, uh, he kind of makes a reference to Einstein who said you can't uh, solve a problem by the same consciousness which you use to create that problem. So we need a new consciousness. And for this, of course, Groff sees the transpersonal spiritual disciplines including shamanism and his own holotropic breathwork, but also various forms of meditation, as being uh, extremely helpful in transforming human beings into um, individuals who are more heart-open, who are more present-centered and accepting of what is, 
who are more moved to make needed changes as they arise, who are more at peace, who have large hearts that are compassionate, and who enjoy the simple things of life. They can live simply and enjoy the cooking, the cleaning, the washing of dishes, the chopping wood, the drawing of water. And Groff's own database for much of that is the results that he has seen in people that have done or participated in thousands of uh, holotropic breathwork sessions with him and his organization over time. These are the kind of changes they see in people. And uh, the bottom line is uh, an individual psycho-spiritual transformation needs to happen in each one of us so that we can step into our power and be agents of global social change. I'd like to mention, uh, before I wrap up this summary, a uh, story about uh, C.G. Jung, the great depth psychologist, and uh, another medicine man by the name of Mountain Lake, who is a, a Pueblo uh, chief and medicine man of the Taos Pueblo tribe uh, at the first quarter of the 20th century. And Jung was looking for a point of view from outside Western civilization, a kind of a diagnosis of what was wrong with modern man and woman. And uh, he had come to the United States to lecture. He visited the Cherokee in the southeastern woodlands. And from there, someone mentioned this medicine man in, amongst the Taos Pueblo. And so Jung took a train out there uh, around, I think, 1920 20 to 25, somewhere in there, and uh, spent uh, some time uh, with the Taos Pueblo. Young was very curious. He, he wanted to know what their religion was, what were their rituals. He had heard, a ta- heard about a uh, turtle dance, and he wanted to participate in that. And uh, Upon arriving there, he began... Uh, kind of greedily looking around for people that would inform him on what their religious belief system was and what their rituals were. And uh, he found that people weren't too interested really in talking to him about these things. And uh, he was told by several people that there was no way he was going to participate in the, the turtle dance. And one morning he got up and he went down to the river at the base of one of the plateau mountains there. And there was a woman washing clothes, I believe. And he asked her, he says, what is your idea of the great spirit or the divine? And she, looking at the water flowing down from the mountain, says, that's the great spirit. It comes down from the mountaintop, flows into the river. And later, Jung saw people look like they were worshiping the sun. One morning, he got up on a rooftop of one of these Pueblo buildings, and he saw all these uh, Pueblo people sitting there with their Indian blankets silently, staring at the sun. Some of them would get up and climb back down the ladders, and others would come up and sit there. And then uh, Mountain Lake came up and sat with Young, and Young says, I don't understand your religion. He says, I see these people sitting, watching the sun. This lady uh, this morning or yesterday told me that... Uh, the great spirit was really the water flowing down from the mountaintop. He says, I don't, I don't understand what you believe. And Mountain Lake says, our religion is uh, to help the Father, Son come across the sky. Every morning we get up, we welcome the sun, and we, we pray it up. And through our activities during the day, that's our religion. We help the sun cross the sky. And if we did not do this, Within 10 years, the world would freeze and everyone would die. So we do this not only for ourselves, but for the whole earth. And Jung was powerfully moved by this this, uh, kind of religious linking to something bigger than yourself, even bigger than your own people. But he, he had to think for a minute, now how is what that lady said about the water related? And he thought, well, the sun melts the ice, turns into water, uh, comes down, so perhaps they're saying the same thing. So Jung asks another question. He goes, I asked this lady and I've asked several people if I could come to the turtle dance and, uh, and nobody seems to want me there. And uh, Mountain Lake said, well, you're a white shoe, you're a white man. And 
the white man, and particularly the U.S. government, has not been very good to us. He said just uh, 12 or 15 years ago, they took away 40,000 acres of our land. And this is the land that we bury our dead. Our ancestors live there. This is the land where we do our vision quests, where we initiate our young men and women. Now it's illegal for us to go there. The white Jews have not been very good to us. So why should we allow you to go to our turtle dance? And Jung was taken aback. And he felt sad because he recognized something very true in what Mount Lake was saying. And finally he said, why do you think the white man is this way? And Mount Lake says, just look at his face. His eyes are always staring. They're beady. They're always looking for something. The lips are thin. They're always hungry, but they don't know what they want. We think they are mad. And Young said, and why do you think the white man is this way? Again, asking the same question. Mount Lake said, they think with the head. And Young said, why, of course, what do you think with? And Mount Lake pointed with a gesture to his heart. He says, we think here. And Young said with that act, he had diagnosed Western civilization. He got the leverage that he had come for because he had flashing through his mind uh, barbarian invasions, Julius Caesar uh, conquering the tribes of Gaul uh, with the bloody eagle, the symbol of the Roman Empire, uh, and its claws uh, gripping into flesh. He saw the missionaries, uh, the early missionaries of Europe, converting people and nations at the point of a sword. And uh, he saw the modern systems of technology and the H-bomb that uh, was to come, that sort of thing, as uh, some expression of the spirit of the heart-closed, heart-ignorant Western civilization. So that's the point at which I want to uh, launch into uh, our questions today. What does it mean to live with a heart? How can we develop that skill? How can we put it into action to help us shape shift our world into uh, a way of life that is based in heart openness and uh, earth honoring ways of living? Thank you for allowing me all that time. Mm-hmm. So that is our question for the show here today, really, which is um, we we get that there's stuff going on the question is what you know what do we do what 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 can happen and what needs to happen and how do we do that so where do we begin and we begin with ourselves we begin with uh stepping into our power because the only way we're going to change is as at the grassroots grassroots level we step into our power and begin to do things different So as I see it, we have to first give attention to our own transformation. The second step, once we have done that, once we are in our power, is to uh, study, do research, gather information about what is the situation in our world that needs our attention, that needs to change. And a third action then is what can I do about it? What resources, what gifts uh, can I bring to it? What can I bring to the world that will help this? And uh, a kind of a a fourth step is to really uh, sacrifice and serve by bringing that baby to birth in the world. So what do you think... um this whole stepping into our power uh, message has been – I spent the 80s, I guess, in California and then New York and then you know back and forth on the coast of the United States. And this, this phrase has been ever-present in every flyer advertising every weekend. It's either step into your power or tantra. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, – you know, but but to me, I you know, I watch all of this, and there there just has been something missing um, in in this effort, uh, or in I, I don't think that it's wrong 
wrong-minded or wrong-hearted. I think that the, the, the motivation is sincere, and yet somehow I haven't seen great change. So what, what is the piece you think that's been sort of missing in all of this activity over the last 30 years? I don't think people have stepped into their power. I think they've talked about it. They've gone to workshops, but they haven't done anything with it. They really haven't stepped into their power. So it's been a slogan, and it's been yuppified. If you, if you think of the uh, inspiration that those of us were around in the 60s and influenced by it, uh, who became yuppies in the uh, late 70s and 80s, uh, you see there was no real uh, putting things into practice. There was no real living it. And it takes real power to do that. The kind of power I'm talking about is power to co-create, power to be part of, power to serve, power to sacrifice. And I see little of that kind of power developed right now. Uh, what I see is power to accumulate uh, stocks, power to increase your wealth, power to pursue your own narcissistic dreams. But power to sacrifice, power to embrace the, the dark, the ugly, the wounded, um, I don't see much of that around, but... Uh, there are signs, and I know it's a human potential, and it's what's needed. So I wonder if perhaps the story doesn't need to change. Um, something something needs to shift because, um, you know, and what there's some fundamental level because I even with people in shamanism who, in theory should be communicating with spirit and, and thus communicating really with source. And yet even our co-creating relationship with source is guided by the way we see the problems because that shapes how we ask the questions and the questions, of course, shape the answers that, you know, how do we, what, what is it, I think, at the core here that we needs to shift so that we can step into what you're talking about? Like there's just something off. Thinking with you here. <laughs> I know in, in, in my own community as we were shifting, the big the big hurdle that really almost brought the community down absolutely ended it in spite of a whole lot of effort on everyone's work and years, frankly, of shamanic transformational work, was um, really the refusal to step out each in their own way and lead. They were happy to be the healers. They were happy to be the visionaries. They were even happy to do the work, you know, the warriorship of it. But it was the leading, is the willingness to step out and lead each, each their own piece, not the whole shebang. But, but that leadership piece has been really challenging. And, and I think that somewhere that's in this is, is we're, we are so programmed to wait for a savior, even if it's not a religious savior, yes. but that other person who's going to lead. <laughs> part, of, part, part of this is a flaw in our understanding of leadership and also in the leader's understanding of what they're doing. Uh, a leader should be training someone to replace them. Uh, mm -hmm. Leader should be training everyone to become leaders with whom they come into contact. To, to be a leader is to step in your power. One person had a beautiful image from a goose. And the goose showed the way the geese migrate and how the lead, the point goose, you know, because they fly in the V, the point goose keeps shifting. And, and, and that was the image from spirit that finally took hold in the community and helped people start to understand leadership in a different way. Like, it's not like you got elected president for the rest of your You just, everybody needed to migrate. We've all got to get there and everybody needs to take their turn leading for, for whatever piece they have the strength to lead in. So I know that was one piece that was a huge huge fundamental shift in people's deep understanding of what leading meant. Yeah. If we keep leading a, as a hierarchical position, mm -hmm. uh, then uh, yes, you can rotate the leadership, but the hierarchy tends to uh, ignore uh, the uh, other members of the lower levels of the hierarchy. So uh, it, 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 it 
doesn't allow them to share in the, the leading. Uh, and it doesn't, uh, the, the hierarchical model, hierarchical model doesn't allow there to be co-leaders. And in a non-hierarchical network system, such as Julian Gordon has been talking about, you have uh, self-organizing communities that have certain nodules in them where uh, certain uh, gifts or potentials or uh, talents that people have allow them to uh, kind of steward a, a resource in a certain area. And if that person, let's say, in a particular nodule uh, dies or has to move on, the net can reconfigure itself. Someone uh, steps in or compensates for the loss of that person, and the, the, the web itself begins to carry on that function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think there's another piece here, which is um, uh, oh, no, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it is the willingness to just do it. <laughs> And as you said, you know, a revolutionary system that works can be repeated. And and one of the hesitancies I see with people with these great ideas is they keep trying to get the credentials or the permission or the support from the system as it is to do their brand new thing. Instead yeah. of recognizing, I think it was a piece of what Laszlo was saying, is recognizing the system in and of itself is going to crumble under its own weight. And that we need to do the new thing so that as things are falling we can look over here and go wow look at bob bob's community's doing that really well let's do what bob's doing you know <laughs> and not wait for the you know the credentials and the no offense the phd or the whatever from the old system we don't have time for that anymore we need if it works do it yes we we need new wine for uh, old bottles uh, we're, we're going to have bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. degree programs. Even Laszlo is offering that at Giordano Bruno. But the wine is completely different, and that's yeah, the important yeah. thing. You know. and, but the thing is, I, because people come to my events, of course, they, they want to train. They want to learn new skills. They want to get a certificate or something. Uh, but uh, many will go on, okay, to the next certificate or the next degree. Uh, there are people that just keep looking for some type of empowerment that's going to be conferred on them because they paid their money, they went to workshops, and they get this piece of paper, it puts them in their power. And it does not put them in their power. This is not the kind of power I'm talking about. And uh, the world is full of people with nice pieces of paper that aren't doing jack about the problems in the world. So we still don't have power. So let me talk more specifically about how to step into power. Yeah. Yeah. as I'm talking about it, okay. And uh, our radio show in May that we did, uh, I believe I shared these, but I'm going to go over them. I teach four acts of power that are based on this indigenous American uh, heart system. And the first act is to uh, listen to the heart and to the spirit speaking there, to actually clear a space in your day uh, or moment by moment as situations arise, to go inside, drop below the mind and listen to what the heart has to say. It wants something or it doesn't want something. Uh, or it's drawing you towards something or it's repelling you. Listen for the invitation that comes there, that little inspiration to do something in your situation. And if it, inspiration comes uh, to do something that's very compassionate or socially useful or that furthers your own development, okay, you honor that. And you honor it first by considering it. Can I do this? What would it look like if I did it? Uh, Who could help me? What versions of it are more viable than others? For example, if I want to build a patio in my backyard, I I might consider, do I want a wood deck? Do I want bricks and pavers? Uh, Do I want to look at the forest? Uh, Do I want a sun deck without trees? You You explore these options in your imagination. This is the yin element, just letting the spirit speak to you about what it wants, what it would be nice, and listening to how your body responds to that. And when you get a fit between the inspiration and the body saying, yeah, this feels right organismically, then you can uh, move to the next act of power, which is to manifest it or make it happen. And that usually requires some strategy, some gathering of resources, 
some identifying obstacles, getting the people you need to support you or money, whatever, and uh, making a priority list of how you're going to do this in what order. And then you follow through, and this thing will come to birth. You'll have your patio or uh, your Giordano Bruno University. That, that, that sprouted from Laszlo's own heart. And uh, the fourth act of power is to protect that process in every way. The way a painter may protect a painting from prying eyes with a canvas. Why? So that other people don't prematurely put their ideas in his own consciousness. So he can let the artwork form itself without interference. Or the potter puts a cheesecloth on the wet clay. Why? To protect it from premature drying out. We don't want people uh, smashing or criticizing before something's had a chance to have a life. Once it's fully formed and rooted, then okay, let the critics come. But So protecting is vital to stepping into power. And a lot of people get shot down by their husbands or wives, by their children, by their parents, uh, by anyone in society, the neighbors. You can't do that. Who are you to think you can do this? And then the judge in your own mind telling you you can't do it or you're no good enough or you don't have enough. So people have this internal judge that's constantly hammering them and keeping them out of their power. And until they know how to deal with that and kind of put that on the shelf and say, look, I'm going to do this thing. If you can help me with it, fine. But if you can't, you just have a seat while I build this thing. So those four acts, with just those four acts, you can accomplish anything that you truly want. It gives you the power. Number one, you listen to the source of inspiration in your own heart. Number two, you honor that by giving it some time to breathe and show itself. And if it feels right, number three, you set about the process of translating that into 3D reality. And number four, at each step, you are protecting it. That's not something we're getting out of universities. This is a technology for really developing your own vision and input into life and into society and creatively shaping your life into something you want rather than something you don't want. And then when you co-create with others, you begin to change your community into something you want rather than something you don't want. And when you do it on a larger scale, you begin changing your world co-creatively with others into something you want or don't want. And so this kind of education of the heart is what's lacking in our educational systems as well as in our, our basic worldview. And our understanding of power, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So as I've been listening, um, I've also been uh, struck a bit. Um, I've been listening to the piece about, you know, how, uh, reintegrating and revaluing the feminine and thinking about that because that's, I mean, I graduated from college when we were voting on the ERA. So this whole piece of my lifetime and, and, and yet as I watch students – Male and female, but one of the things that I watch, this is back to my question of I, we're doing it, but what's not working <laughs> enough, um, is in our old paradigm, we do not really have a right relationship with the unknown, which is an aspect of the feminine. And the deep yin energy is that which is, but not anything yet. And it is unknown and it can be scary. And what I see at the threshold, and so much of shamanic work is bringing people to the threshold, but you can't shove them through, you know, (laughs) it's like that final step. They have to take themselves. And, you know, and getting there often means shedding everything that got you there in the first place to be able to get through the threshold. And so often, I see people at the, in the threshold, at it, feeling the power of it, absolutely high on the whole situation, and then stepping back because what's lacking is the trust in the unknown, the trust that if I fling myself through this threshold and lose everything, that that which truly is related to my heart will reemerge in my new life. And that, that is the piece that also to me that connects the heart and the unknown is, is that which has true heart life, true heart fire will find a way to find you in your new form and you will find a way to find it. So in other words, 
throw yourself through the threshold, you'll still have a relationship with your children, you know? <laughs> and, and I, and I just, I see that again and again is all of this work to get to that place and then no trust in that deep, one of the deep essences of the feminine energy is that the unknown will take you there, but you must be willing to let everything known go to be in it. I, I, I believe, uh, in, in agreement with you, but state in my own way, that you must completely surrender to the spirit that is guiding yeah. through your heart. If you trust that, then one step at a time, the universe kind of arranges things for you to succeed. And you can't see down the road how it's going to work out. But one step at a time, the right resources tend to appear. The right people that support you tend to appear. Whereas Joseph Campbell said, if you're on the beam, something tells you you're off it, something tells you you're on it. That's the, the heart. But uh, when you're on it, doors will open for you that wouldn't open for anybody else because you're on a trajectory here that's growing out of your heart and out of the divine. It is the path for you. And, yeah, and trust that allows you to let it manifest in its own self-organizing kind of way, as opposed to you trying to impose your way and and you're defeated. And what I hear in this, in, in what we're talking about, especially in the work of the, many of our contemporary world's great leaders, is an understanding of the energies, both masculine and feminine, in their mature forms, versus a goddess as simply a good mother that's got to hold and make it all right versus really stepping into the unknown and trusting spirit and surrendering yeah. and, and, and trust it will be all right <laughs> but by flinging yourself into it not going back home where it's cozy <laughs> so, because back home where it's cozy is a planet that is really fine but our time on it may be, you know, numbered if we don't recognize what we call home right now is in trouble. And we need to be able to trust and surrender and become the people, actually, that I do believe we've come here to be. I don't believe anybody is being asked anything exactly what they came here to be, but yeah. they need to actually step up and be it. That's right. Yeah. And they need a little guidance. I always try to teach people as in my workshops because it's kind of technology for uh, how to be who you are, how to live your own trajectory in life. So as we were talking about these classes, I liked that you brought up this this uh, sort of the way Gandhi is often misquoted and that, you know, what he said is first the change you seek and you next act and act in a way that is consistent with the beliefs that are speaking. So yeah. what do we have people do then? What do we have people do if they are they are engaging in their transformation, they are stepping into their power, um, and they are um, surrendering to their to spirit and to 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 the pull to the pull of the person that they've come here to be. So then what? What 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 else what more needs to Recognize our, our divine origin, our, our spiritual origin, and that there is a genius in every single human. And it's a source of inspiration. It's a source of all that. We each can look around in our world and see something wrong with it that needs to be righted. We can each find something in the, say, the field we work in that we know something about that and there's nothing against that. We could bring that about it enough. We could bring something right to the little problem and give it. And I think we need to start seeing that we're responsible for creating a, a world that we want. We have gifts that we need to share and not wish somebody else would do it. Every person can find something unique to bring from their own experience, their own address a problem that's needed in the world. I call that a process, but to find that you have to kind of get the edge of your experience. You have to get 
past your familiar habitual world and use your heart and say, okay, what does the world need? Or what does my world need? Or what does my neighborhood need? I'm about that I can bring something to that. To me, these are revolutionary questions because everyone can do something like that. So it seems the next piece, though, is somehow we need to be coming together in community to really engage that, that power. Well, community support is important for that. Also, dietic relationships, you know, one-on-one relationships where you could sit down with somebody and process with them what you see in the world that needs attention and that you could help with. If you could bring them together and articulate it, your vision what it is that kind of need to and if you had a partner to, to just listen to you and to mirror back uh, your process to identify thick words that are juicy and you what you mean that uh, and to be able to say that to you so that they're like reflecting back your own inner process as you do this mini vision quest for what you can do for the world or the neighborhood this is important. And then if communities could learn to do this together, uh, you could spontaneously form communities that are organizations around what can we do to do something? How can we help with There's a kind of mathematical map that Julian Gordon showed with me that shows a bunch of balls on a page. In the next photo, you see uh, a few dyads that are connected and uh, a large number that are still unconnected. And then in the next photo frame, you see some of those dyads, four dyads, and four dyads. And the next frame, uh, you see two clusters of communities that are formed out of all of that. And then there's one link that forms these two separate communities of clusters and dyads. Of self uh, generating community that begins with uh, a single relationship between people. And those two linking up. So there's an organic growth. And it turns out that's the way your neurons form, that's the way so much of uh, biological nature uh, networks and connects together. Just that model. There's another layer about self organizing systems that I really love to share with people because it's so elemental. And that is that when a system actually can self-organize, it's in a particular state. Um, so when it is too earthy, too, too much of a solid state, though there is movement, it's very, very slow. And so the rate at which those groupings tend to happen is, is, is so, so slow that the system can self-organized. There's sort of like there's none of that. Uh, it never quite gets the momentum going. And yet, the other thing, though, which is very true for humans, when we get into activism, or get hooked, get excited about a vision or get very passionate about things, it's a system that's too airy that those balls are moving too fast and they're running into each other, but they're not forming the dyad. They, they kind of bump into each other and go off, ricochet off in other directions. And so, (laughs) so it's scary, it's too, it's gassy. So that we can't be completely overexcited about everything. We can't be too stuck and rooted in things. That the state at which something can self-organize is liquid. Where things are moving quickly enough to to meet the thing you're going to connect with two things that are connected, meet the next thing they're connected with, and that the connections that happen happen because they're moving quickly enough for that, yet not so quickly that we're just staying up each other. And it's it's kind of like what's happening in the brainstorming phase of the everybody just wants to each other, but things actually get done. Yeah. <laughs> so, and- so it's important to learn how to be in a, a liquid as a and as a person in community, and that actually that place 
um, a balance is very challenging for people. Yes. A certain organization applied to uh, the formation of human networks and communities could build into it monitors in the system that no ends to uh, break a certain language and rejoin it somewhere else so that the information flow is quicker and more immediate. You can have redundant roles within a system, nodules within a system. That's what you have at the top is kind of a choking uh, of information that causes the rulers at the top to respond very slowly. And it's a slow path for the information up and then a slow path for the information down. If you need some type of medical decision or you need some type of environmental decision today, uh, it could be years getting it through the hierarchical system. And this kind of biomatic network uh, system any point from any other point on the system. You can anywhere you, you enter. And if points of contact are too distant, the monitors can and rehook it up in a different way so that people that need to communicate directly with each other can do it. Mm-hmm. More liquid. Yes. So we need more research and exploring these types of social systems. Recently, I was working with someone that was helping me to put on communities and what I can do to help them be more conscious of themselves as communities and to gender more co-creating of them. And uh, she used a methodology that had us label everything that we could think of that made those communities there. And we generated quite a pile. And then the piles were sorted uh, with little provisional topics for each one, so a theme for each pile. And in the end, we had to reach consensus which piles a certain uh, observation fit into. And by the end, we had five or six uh, schemes, uh, naming different facets of the community. And what struck me was it, because you uh, kind of officially call me the leader from these communities, but there's so much going on that I don't do, that other people are doing, that nature is doing. And the ambient energy is doing in it. And that was like lifted out. And I see that very clearly, cross communities aren't possible with only me. It's everybody making it what it is. And Mother Nature at the same time. Of course, the trees, the campfires, the drumming, the singing, the cricket, the frogs, the pond, all that goes into making these events what they are. This was a revolution more clearly what a crow's nest community is. And from there, we can decide, okay, how can we make that work better? How can we not be stressing people with a certain role in the community? And how can we stretch others to extend themselves so that they can grow, but actually more actively support the community? We're talking about creating a resource-rich environment and having things move in the environment. So it is unbelievable to me, but we are almost done here today. And so I thought I'd ask you a simple question. What have you found in a profound dream or journey? And you were being taken to the court. And your, your mission, your quest, was to ask for one thing, to bring back to all of humanity, a gift to be given to all of humanity at this time, to help us to do what needs to be done. What would you bring back? And you're asking this of all of us, correct? I'm asking this of you. <laughs> I bring back my willingness to do what I'm doing, to make myself available to help. I see this needs a hand, and I can lend it. Because I can do it. I'm doing it. And that is something. <laughs> question of what does the system need or what does someone need that I don't think about that I can do too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing to the world and helping. So for those of you that um, didn't quite catch it, you can connect with McCall at crowsnestshamanism.com. So thank you for joining me for the second part of our talk here today. Thank you. It's marvelous the work you do. And I want to thank everyone for joining us. And I want to thank those of you who are taking these words of these last two weeks and considering stepping to your power and really coming to do what you have come into the world to do. 
time um, with courage and heart and an honoring of the earth. So I thank to the ancestors for being here today and holding us well, the earth below, the sky above, and for the heart that unites us all. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here um, on the earth with me at this very time. And um, thank you for listening. Have a great day.